This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week, Grease is the Word. It's episode 464 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and the Grease prequel series, Grease Rise of the Pink Ladies, is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. So I thought I would hang out with the cast this week to talk to them all about it. Of course, that means Marissa Davila going to join me on the show this week, Cheyenne Isabel Wells, as well as looking at Socias and the T-Birds with Maxwell Whittington Cooper and Nicholas McDonough. As well, and it was just so much fun to talk to these this cast. I can't wait to share it with you. Also, going to give you my review of the Portable Door from MGM Plus. No review of the Super Mario Brothers movie this week because I want to take my eight year old son. I haven't had a chance to do that yet, so I will be reviewing that movie next week on the show. So you'll just have to wait an extra week. That's all. So you know, not a hu- not a huge delay, but again, that'll allow us to talk spoilers too, which is also good. Also, going to talk about a bunch. Of trailers, I mean Blue Beetle, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Barbie, and some others. And Moana is in the news, maybe for the wrong reasons. I'll talk about that as well. But first, yeah, let's talk about Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies, the Paramount Plus series with the cast next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Jay Taylor from The Magicians, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time for the Pink Ladies to rise up. That's right, Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies is now streaming on Paramount Plus, the prequel series that, of course, is from the popular Grease movie and that just tells the origin story of the Pink Ladies, but it's so much more than that. And I got a chance to talk to some of the stars of the show about how, you know, this show is different and how it kind of broadens the spectrum of Grease and things like that. I actually want to start off with stars Mar- Marissa Davila and Cheyenne Isabel Wells, who play Jane and Olivia on the show. And of course, you've seen them in the trailer. You know that they are part of the Pink Ladies. Let's hear what they have to say. How are you ladies doing? So good. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. And I mean, hey, joining the world of Grease, that had to be incredible. But from what I've seen, looked like you all were having a blast. So how much fun was it to work on this show? 
Oh my gosh, so much fun. Yeah. Then it doesn't even like when when you're knee deep into a song and it's just blaring and everyone's dancing, it's like, is it you know, it doesn't always feel like work. Yeah. It's work. It's work. But then once you're like on and the lights are there and, and then it's just like a blast. Yeah. And everybody's so we're all so close and like we have such a great time on set. Mm-hmm. So you can't have Greece without the music, obviously. And, and I think I saw that you had 30 songs for this show. Just so did you have a favorite song or maybe a favorite performance, even if it won, if it was one that you weren't, weren't a part of? Oh my goodness. Everyone did such a good yeah, job. Yeah, everyone killed it. My favorite is New Cool. I love New Cool's amazing. Ari, Lee, Cynthia, they absolutely kill it. Yeah, the energy is just so out the good. gate. It's <laughs> insane. And all the T-Birds, come on. Yeah, I find myself listening to the soundtrack and I'll be like, you better Chanel, you yeah. know, like, and they're not even in the room with me, but I'm like cheering them on. Yeah. I'm like, it's insane. I'm the, I'm the everyone's Every biggest song, fan. Honestly, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're just always there in spirit. That's what it is. You, you always just think that they're they there for sure. <laughs> now, we've seen a, a little bit about the Pink Ladies from the trailer. We obviously know them from the movies as well. But for, for Janie and Olivia specifically, what was your favorite thing about sort of their found friendship? Oh, you know, I always thought that these are like four girls that otherwise maybe not wouldn't have ever found each other. Mm, yeah. Had, hadn't been in the situations. It's like... Somebody like the the gloom cloud and the shiny sun. It's like, how are these two? How do we work? Right, exactly. But I think that's what we fill each other's cups in that way. And, and I think Olivia and Jane, they find a lot of like safety within yeah. each other. Yeah. There's a lot going on around them. And you, we always also can tell each other like, hey, snap out of it. Exactly. <laughs> We're honest Focus. with each other. And it also proves that like you could be so different from somebody else, but be going through the exact same thing. And you wouldn't know unless you like started a conversation. Absolutely. And we get to find out a lot about their characters individually too, like which I love. So when you have an ensemble cast like this, sometimes it's hard to really do that. But do you kind of feel like this show digs deep, not just into your characters, but a bunch of others as well? Because I feel like it really does. Oh, yeah. Yes. It, especially as the story unfolds and, and even like after our first season, like I'm so excited to learn even more about the characters that we may have just been able to like touch on. Yeah. Every storyline is has a huge, a huge arc, everything yeah. like there's something to every character, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Absolutely. You talked about how it was work and you could tell that it was definitely work. Just talk about just the large scale of this choreography and what it was like being a part of that and just putting everything together. Cause it just looked insane. Yeah. It was, it was definitely like this, but to the max, <laughs> like trying to do everything at once. I always said, I'd always look to them on a day that we were dancing and singing. I'd be like, can you believe that we get to do a scene tomorrow? And then the next day we'll be doing the scene. And I'll be like, can you believe we get to do a dance tomorrow? Like we didn't yeah. get the best of both worlds. And we had Jamal Sims, who is an incredible choreographer and leader, and he helped us through all of it. Mm-hmm. And also amazing dancers who just killed yeah, every Yeah, the Vancouver number. dancing is insane. <laughs> insane. They got it covered. Yeah. Well, now we know. And wait till you guys see, because if you think you saw it in the trailer, wait till you see the series itself, because it's amazing. <laughs> Grease Rise of the Pink Ladies premieres on Paramount Plus with two episodes for the premiere on April the 6th. Marissa Cheyenne, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. Now that we've heard from the Pink Ladies, let's hear from a T-Bird and one of the socias as well. You've got Nicholas McDonough, who plays Gil, and Maxwell Whittington Cooper, who plays Wally, to tell us some of the other side of this story. What's up, guys? How you doing? Hi, James. How's the day going? 
Doing very well. Thank you. Nicholas, I actually want to start with you, man, because Greece fans kind of know the T-Birds are the unquestioned cool guys of <laughs> Rydell. Since this is a prequel, <laughs> though, how do you describe your T-Birds? Yeah, I mean, playing a T-Bird at all is like a dream. Like I remember doing Greece with my sisters, like in the living room when I was a kid. Like, I can't believe that I'm here, but it's so fun, man. Like, honestly, putting the jacket on and then being able to be like, at the same time, very suave and cool and like, and smooth and also like feel like Mr. Bean and silly and weird. Like it's such a joy. Like you get to be cool and weird. It's so fun and sing and dance. That does sound like a lot of fun, man. You guys looked like you were having a blast too. Now yeah, Maxwell, we as far as you go, Wally seems like he's, he's got it all, man. He's running with the socias. He's, he's getting the girls, but I mean, do you feel like that's where he wants to be? Or maybe there's maybe a little conformity there. What do you think? Excellent question. I think you hit the nail on the head. Wally definitely starts out seeming like he has the perfect life. You know, he's a social, he's the top of the social pack at Rideau High. He has a stunning girlfriend, great athlete. But over the course of the season, you really do start to see that he feels some sort of complacency and he isn't necessarily fully happy. And I feel like certain characters, Pink Ladies included, sort of come into his life and change that vantage point and really shift how he goes about navigating Rideau High. No doubt about that. So the original Grease was more than just about mu musical and, and the cool factor. But do you feel like this series has more of a broader spectrum of Rydell than the original series? And I'll, I'll ask both of you guys to answer that one. I think the series definitely has a broad, broader spectrum of Rydell High. I think you start yeah. to see so many different narratives that existed in 1954 that were definitely there in the 1950s, but didn't necessarily have that mainstream spotlight. So I think it's exciting to now see those stories take the center stage. Yeah, the movies were very heavily focused on the Pink Ladies and the T-Birds. I mean, it's a movie. You just don't have as much time to explore all the mm -hmm. groups. Like, we see the socias there and we see John Travolta like get into it with him, but it's mm -hmm. just like just scratching the surface and we get to really get into like the theater crowd and the socias and explore their lives. And yeah, like you say, a much broader spectrum and, and diving deep within those as well. Really quickly, did you guys have a favorite song? I know you had 30 of them. Did you have a favorite? Probably yes. new cool. I'm well, I know. I, I would. I would know why you would say new cool. Yes, and, and that was a good one. I'd say my favorite is "Land Don't Look So Bad," which comes in episode eight, so yeah. a little bit later down the line. Oh, uh, so we're gonna have to wait a little bit for that one, but it's worth the wait because "Grease: Rise of the Pink Ladies" premieres April sixth on Paramount Plus with the first two episodes, and these guys are a big part of that. Maxwell and Nicholas, thank you guys both so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course, thank, thank you, man. Have a good one. And if you listen to them talk about the show and just feel their energy, that is the energy you'll get when you watch Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies. It's beyond just a musical. There's so much going on and so much character work in this show that there's a lot of things that you can get caught up with while you're watching it. But you are going to be entertained the entire time for sure and there might even be even this happened even though this happens in the 50s might even be stuff that you can relate to as well and stuff that's certainly very relevant today so make sure you're watching Grease Rise of the Pink Ladies which is now streaming by the way on Paramount Plus again thanks to the amazing cast of Grease Rise of the Pink Ladies for joining me to talk about the show this week up next gonna review a MGM Plus movie The Portable Door we'll dive into this fantasy sci-fi world next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is Karen Ashley from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcasts. Opening doors to a new world of possibilities. The Portable Door is now streaming on MGM+. Plus. I want to go ahead and give you my spoiler-free review of this, mainly because, you know, maybe you haven't had a chance to see it yet. Maybe you don't even have MGM+. Plus. This will make you want to subscribe to that. Okay, so let's just jump right into it. Basically, this story centers around a couple of very young characters. You've got Paul Carpenter, who's played by Patrick Gibson, and then you also have Sophie Pettengill, who's played by Sophia Wilde, and they're basically very young interns at this mysterious corporation. You don't really know what they do at first, and I won't spoil what they do, but there's some magic involved here in an ancient magical world, and you kind of know that from the trailer anyway, so that's not really a spoiler. And Paul's tasked to find something for the CEO of the company Humphrey Wells, who is played by Christoph Waltz, who I've pretty much decided is just going to be amazing in absolutely everything he's in, and I just have to accept that and move on with my life from there, because he certainly was in this as well. So what he's tasked to find is very interesting, and you might guess that it's, you know, the portable door. Again, in the trailer, not a spoiler, and what this door can do, also not a spoiler. You, you basically open the door, you can go wherever you want to go sort of thing. Now, why this is important, why Humphrey Wells wants it, and what the whole story is that I won't get into. But I really enjoyed Paul Carpenter as a character from Patrick Gibson and, and Sophia Pettengill, Sophie Pettengill, played by Sophia Wilde as well. Because they, they just worked really well together. And just the bubbling nature of Paul's character was really, really fun for me. And then, of course, like I said, you've got Christoph Waltz, who plays the CEO, who is just you you can tell there's something off about him, but you don't quite know what it is. And then you've got Sam Neill, who plays Dennis Tanner on the show. And he's like the grumpy guy of the group, right? He hates everyone. He hates everything, it seems like. And Sam Neill just plays that role so, so well. And it's just fun, the dynamic between he and Paul and Sophie together. It's just real, when, when you get to see those scenes, there aren't a ton of them. But when you get to see those scenes, they're really, really fun. And... It, Aside from that, though, here's the deal. First of all, this movie takes forever to really get going. I'm about, I was about an hour in, and it, and it seemed like they were still trying to find their footing of where they wanted to go. And yeah, you introduced us to a bunch of different characters in that hour, and you kind of were slowly telling me what this company was and what they did. I felt like they could have gotten there a little bit faster, but once they did, the story really starts to pick up and it really becomes enjoyable, except for the fact that it seems like every character in this thing is an eccentric character. And maybe that you think that's a good thing. Maybe you think that that's a bad thing. Actually, in the description of the movie, it actually says that this is a London firm with unconventional employers. Literally everyone in this company 
is unconventional and eccentric, it seems like. And usually that sort of works when you've got a couple of characters that are that way or the company itself that's that way. But when everybody's that way, it kind of takes the specialness out of that effect. So at some point, it just sort of seemed normal to me. So the more and more I met these eccentric characters, it didn't matter as much because they were all eccentric, maybe in different ways, but they were all eccentric to the point where it just seemed like that was a regular thing. And I kind of wish that would have been more of a of a special thing that you get every now and then, which you get sometimes from movies like this. That's what you sort of expect. You're like, you're going to get a couple of eccentric characters. And I don't want to use the word normal because that's sort of boring in its own right. But everybody was on a different level of weirdness. And I don't know that that really worked out at the end of the day. Now, was this story a little bit predictable as well? In a certain sense, in the, in the, in the fact that the character interactions, I thought maybe were a little bit predictable. There were a couple of twists in the movie that I thought were pretty good. One of them you kind of see coming and the other one, eh, maybe not so much, but this kind of your enjoyment of this, I think is based on how much you enjoy the character growth of Paul and Sophie's characters either together or separately. And I think that the ending too has a really nice payoff in it as well. And I will tell you, there is an end credit scene that may or may not be important. You're just going to have to wait and see for that. There's, there's definitely a reason for it. It's worth sticking around for. I mean, the magical element is fun in this and not over the top. And it's not something that you see all of the time, which I really, really like. I thought the set designs were, were really nice as well. And they didn't go over the top with effects or anything like that. It was, it seemed like there were a lot of practical effects and when they're, when the effects needed to be there, they were there and they weren't overblown either. Everything's just seemed very simplistic to a very good point. This is not a criticism that it was actually good that things seemed a little bit more simplified rather than overblown for the sake of being overblown. So I have to say, I there was part of me that really enjoyed this movie, but there was also part of me that was like, man, if they could have just got to the point a little bit faster, maybe not like, if it didn't take them an hour, if it took them a half hour, and then you sort of get moving, maybe you can tell more of the back end of the story instead of the front end. I think it would have worked out a little bit better, but it was still enjoyable. It's not going to be on the level of like a Harry Potter or anything like that, I don't think. But it's definitely a nice middle-of-the-road magical fantasy movie that I think you could really enjoy, especially if you end up falling in love with these characters. So The Portable Door, now streaming on MGM+. Plus. I'm really curious to see what you guys think of it. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of The Portable Door. Up next, there was a ton of big, big trailers that dropped this week and even more nerd news. We'll dive into it next. I'm James Witham, and this is... The Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey guys, this is Wole Parks from Superman and Lois, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast with James Witham. So many trailers, it almost feels like Comic-Con. It's time for nerd news, and there won't be any Star Wars celebration news on the show this week. Again, I'm going to save that for next week's show. But I do want to talk about the plethora of trailers that came out this week, especially Blue Beetle, which is going to be out on August the 18th. From Warner Brothers and I guess DC Studios, even though the movie wasn't made under that umbrella, but I guess it's kind of under it now. And we finally get to see Jolo Maraduena as Jamie Reyes. And the second I saw that casting, I just knew that it was going to be a winning casting. And based on this trailer, it sure as heck was. He just fits the bill of Jamie Reyes so, so much. And you can also tell that this movie 
is just going to be filled with not just fun, but a lot of family aspects as well. And yeah, definitely a superhero origin story, which, you know, we've seen origin stories plenty of times, but this is going to be a lot of people's introduction to the character of Blue Beetle. I know as a DC Comics fan, obviously I've been familiar with Blue Beetle for a while back to the Ted Kord days, but, you know, getting introduced to this character for the first time in this movie is not necessarily going to be a bad thing so i really hope the comic book diehards don't you know get too impatient with that but you get to see i think it's not just going to be blue beetle story it's going to be jamie reyes his story and and how you know his i know that they kind of tried to do this with shazam right where billy batson you know his adopted family was kind of the thing that made him into the hero that he was and maybe they're going to go that similar route with blue beetle but i think it's going to be you know in a different context as well obviously you know billy having abandonment issues i don't think that's going to happen with jamie reyes and i didn't really intend to kind of compare the two but it just looks like that fun vibe is going to be similar to shazam and that's going to just take that family aspect as well to the next level not not to mention this is just i think this it just oozes fun and just the goofiness of jamie reyes jamie reyes as well but he's also you could tell that he's a smart kid and I think the action in this is going to be off the charts as well because, of course, Jolo's been doing Cobra Kai for so long. He's you know, certainly got the combat training to be able to pull this off. And, you know, as far as, you know, it almost doesn't matter who the villain is, right? Because we're going to get to see the origin of, of the Scarab and, and, and have that explained for us. There's going to be a lot to do in this movie that just centers around the character of Jamie Reyes and Blue Beetle in general. And this is one that, you know... The fact that, first of all, it was supposed to be an HBO Max movie, now they're moving it to theaters, and the, the fact that this survived the whole DC Studios takeover thing tells you that they've got confidence in this movie for a reason and in this character as well. So they certainly see something in this movie, and that excites me to find out what's going to be going on with Blue Beetle on August the 18th. Now we're going to head across the Spider-Verse, where Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse debuted another trailer. That movie, of course, coming out on June the 2nd from Marvel and Sony Pictures Animation. And you, f- we finally get to see a little bit deeper meaning for this movie. It's not just going to be, you know, like across the Spider-Verse, right? It's not just going to be, you know, heading into the multiverse and meeting Spider-Man 2099 and all these other Spider-People, as, as they like to call them, in the trailer. It's also going to be about, it looks like there was a very familiar scene in this trailer. And it involved Miles and his dad. And we get to see a very Gwen Stacy moment. Or it looks like Miles is trying to save his dad, which is who's like plummeting, right? And you basically have Spider-Man 2099, who's going to be played by Oscar Isaac, saying, look, man, you know, we've got bigger fish to fry here. We can't worry about saving one person. And Miles is like, forget that. We're not doing it your way. And then, you know, the, you know, so the sort of the war ensues you know whose side is everybody going to be on you would assume that peter's going to be on miles's side but you never really know right and it's the same with gwen i you assume but you don't really know right and how far will miles go to save his family if that's the case or you know save the family or save the world which again is not breaking new ground here but i feel like this story has done such a great job at establishing this family dynamic but in miles's family and i love the scenes where his, where he, you know, he kind of almost gaslights his mom in the trailer. And it's like, you don't mess with mama. You, you should already know that already. You don't mess with mama bear 
in this situation. So, but but the fact that they established such a great relationship between Miles and his dad in the first movie should tell you how emotional and impactful this movie is going to be. And it's not just going to be about seeing all of these characters, although I'm looking forward to seeing a bunch of new ones in Across the Spider-Verse. It's going to be about, you know, just Miles becoming the hero that he needs to be. What does that mean to him? And is he going to maybe choose his own path a little bit more? I mean, he kind of did that in the first movie. But again, how does he decide what kind of hero he wants to be at such a young age, too? Because you see he's struggling with the hero school life balance, which, you know, Peter Parker should certainly be familiar with, too. So, yeah, this is one that it's always been a visual spectacle. You know that going in with with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, but now I'm looking for the story to deepen even more, and, and this is a good tease for that for sure. You ready to have some goofy fun? I think that's exactly what Barbie is going to be. July 21st is the day we're going to see this from Warner Brothers Pictures. We get the trailer, and of course you see Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling and Simu Liu, and there's going to be so many other Great members to this cast. You can go to downnerdypodcast.com to not only see the trailer, but look at this you know huge cast list as well. And it's a world full of Barbies and Kens, which I think is really funny. I mean, they're not the only characters in the movie, but at the same time, there's definitely a, a, a world filled with Barbies and Kens. And it seems like, at least the impression I got from the trailer anyway, is that Barbie's going to try and venture into the real world at some point, and what's that going to look like, and is that something she's going to you know, think that she wants sort of thing. But again, I'm not looking for anything like deep and meaningful from this movie. I'm really not. I'm just looking for it to be goofy and fun, and the whole, you know, I'm going to stay over tonight. And, and when she says, why? He's like, oh, because I'm your boyfriend. And she's like, well, what do we do? And he's like, I'm not exactly sure. It's stuff like that. Stuff like that is what I'm in this movie for. That's just su- stupid, silly fun that bridges the gap between toys and bringing toys to life sort of thing. That's the kind of thing I'm looking for here. That silliness, that fun, the things that, you know, make it poke, kind of poking fun of the things that don't necessarily make sense in, in, when, when it comes to toys and bringing them into an adaptation like this. I'm in it for that. I don't need this movie to try to be deeper than it actually is. And I really hope that they don't try to go that route because it just didn't seem like that would make a whole lot of sense. So I'm glad that it looks like we're going to get a lot of fun. I, th- I like that we've got a little bit of a Ken rivalry going on for Barbie's affections in this trailer and so many other things. So yeah, I, I am interested in seeing this Barbie movie when it comes out on July the 21st. Netflix has a new hit show coming out. Of course, you know they're going to have a second season of The Night Agent. It's been a huge success. Maybe the most watched Netflix show ever by the time you listen to this podcast. Now they've got another one on deck called The Diplomat, which is going to star Carrie Russell, and that should get your attention right away anyway. But this time around, Carrie Russell is actually going to be playing a U.S. ambassador to the United Kingdom, and she's she was supposed to go to a different place. She ends up in the U.K. because there's like war brewing in, in, in Europe and, you know, across continents and who was responsible for a terrorist attack sort of thing. So she's brand new to this job, basically, and she's trying to defuse the situation all while her husband, who is a, like, retired diplomat, he was a career diplomat, and now he's kind of, like, tagging along with her and making it even more difficult 
for her to do her job. And there's this weird marriage dynamic that's going on here and almost like a power struggle dynamic between the two of them, which is an interesting sort of balance all wrapped around this whole political thriller and, and the intrigue of what what the hell's exactly going on with the story and who's responsible for what and how these moving parts could try and keep from a global catastrophe sort of thing. And one of the reasons I think this is going to work is because you've got showrunner Deborah Kahn, who worked on The West Wing and Homeland, somebody that knows how to handle a story like this, that has worked on shows that has a track that have a track record for being able to handle all of these moving parts, make them make sense, but also have that personal touch to them in these just certain character moments that can also drive the story forward. And you get to see a little bit of that in the trailer as well. And you get to see Cherry, Carrie Russell is not just her strong but charming self in this trailer. So it should be no surprise at all that this would be a big hit for Netflix. So make sure you're watching out for this one. You're going to have eight episodes to this show when it premieres pretty soon, actually, on April the 20th on Netflix. That is The Diplomat. One more trailer I want to talk about, and that is The Lazarus Project from TNT. Yes, TNT is still the home for drama, at least for now. The Lazarus Project going to be coming out on June the 4th, and it is already greenlit for a second season, by the way. They've already shot the second season. So you can watch this first season without worrying about whether or not this show is going to go anywhere. But this one's interesting because it follows a character named George, and basically he has the ability... Or, or he's going to work for this company, the Lazarus Project, that has the ability to turn back time whenever the world is in the threat of extinction. And George is one of the special people that knows when time's been turned back. That's why he's, you know, working for them in the first place. So long story short, they're trying to stop, you know, the end of the world pretty much all the time. But also George has a little bit of a problem, more than a little bit of a problem, and that is his wife is basically dying or going to die and he has to choose, you know, do you save my, do I save my wife or do I save the world? And again, not breaking new ground with story there. That's, that's something that we've certainly seen before. But the aspect of the show where you're combining these two things again is, I think, going to keep things really, really interesting because, you know, is, are we going to see a point where he sort of like turns on the Lazarus Project and goes out on his own? Is he going to have people that kind of defect with him? Does he kind of try to play both sides? So I think that there's plenty of angles here to play that could make this really interesting. But you also have, you know, excellent cast where you've got Papa Esedu, and I'm sure I butchered that name, from I May Destroy You. You also have... Joining that cast as well, you've got Tom Burke, you've got Caroline Quinton, and so many others as well. So, yeah, this one has my attention because I'm a sucker for a good time travel story anyway. But just because, I I don't know, there's just something about this that tells me that this is going to be a really interesting show when it debuts on June the 4th. That is The Lazarus Project from TNT. Could it be Bo-Katan now and forever? In an interview with comicbook.com, Katie Sackhoff said she would be open to signing a deal with Disney to allow them to recreate her portrayal of Bo-Katan Kreese in the form of AI after she has passed away or can no longer perform the role. Now, keep in mind, there's only been one Bo-Katan Kreese so far, and that's Katie Sackhoff in live action and in animation. 
Let's just put that out there right now. And let's also remember that Disney's already done this a couple of times. We've seen it with, with Darth Vader, with James Earl Jones, and they've struck a deal with him and his family to be able to use his voice. After he's passed, we've seen it used with Mark, Ham Mark Hamill. We've seen it used, I believe, for Grand Moff Tarkin as well. So it's not like this. There's without precedent. And, and you know, to paraphrase the interview that Katie Sackhoff did with, with comicbook.com, she basically said, yeah, my family benefits from this financially, then sure, absolutely, I'd be open to a deal like that. And she's, But she also said, you know, she believes in, you know, original artists being paid for their work. So th there's a lot of moving parts to this AI stuff. And she even kind of said, you know, we're in a kind of tricky place with that. And, you know, part of me is like, yeah, absolutely. That, you know, you want that character that you obviously love to live on forever. And there are certain special circumstances. We'd love to see an actor portray a role for life, basically. But there's also a tricky spot there because, I mean, think about how many great portrayals that we've had of certain characters over the years and maybe wouldn't have happened if something like this were the case. Like, let's just say they decide Michael Keaton's Batman, that's it, we're going to AI this thing forever. You'd never get Christian Bale. You'd never get Robert Pattinson. Whoever your favorite Batman is, you could say the same thing about Kevin Conroy, even if he's your gold standard, right? And, and he's certainly either number one or number two for me. I, I kind of go back and forth. But let's say he's your gold standard, right? And let's just say that, you know, this technology existed and yada, yada, yada. So no matter what, we're going to have Kevin Conroy's voice as Batman for life. We would have maybe never gotten some of these other portrayals that we love. You might not think it's as good as what Kevin Conroy did, but you still loved it. Same thing with the Joker. Mark Hamill was as amazing as the Joker, and he may never voice the character again, and that, that's his choice. But... We may, we may have never gotten Heath Ledger's Joker had this technology existed, right? So there's certain things where, you know, there's a line there. And, and maybe nobody else could play Bo-Katan Kreese better than Katie Sackhoff. Maybe that's true. But at the same time, we would never know that, would we, if this were the case? So, and maybe, maybe you feel strongly about this. Maybe this is one of those things where it's like Darth Vader's James Earl Jones, that's it, period, I don't want to hear it any other way. Fair enough. And I, and I can't say I necessarily disagree with that. There are certain characters that this is the case for. Is Bo-Katan Kreese one of those characters for you? Or is this like a 100% has to be special circumstances sort of thing? This should only happen for certain characters. And maybe Bo-Katan Kreese hasn't reached that level yet. Although there's certainly a lot going on in The Mandalorian right now. And spoiler alert. Her getting the Darksaber back certainly makes things interesting for Bo-Katan going forward and this whole walking both worlds thing and certainly something to keep an eye on. But I, I, it's just, this is a very, you know, yeah, I think this is a good idea, but I also think it's a bad idea at the same time sort of thing. And while the steel isn't official yet as of me recording this, it seems like this might be headed down in that direction. And maybe this is just the way of the world now. We'll just have to wait and see. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. So you could tweet me at Dan and Nerdy 757 or go to com. You can email me through the website. Let me know what you think because I'm really curious about how you feel about this AI technology. I love it in certain respects. In other respects, I think it's really dangerous. You know, it's it's a very seesaw thing right now. So, But it's hard to argue 
with imagining anybody else playing Bogotan Crease in the future. One more thing I want to talk about, and that is basically the Dwayne Johnson is at it again, and Disney fans seem pretty divided on this, and that is that a Moana live-action adaptation is going to be in the works, and Dwayne Johnson going to play the live-action version of Maui, of course, the character that he voiced in the original animated movie in the first place. Now, clearly the whole, you know, changing the power power dynamic of the DC universe or the the power dynamic is about to change didn't change. That didn't work out for him. So it's like, well, you know, what am I going to do next? Oh, let's try and change the balance of power in the Disney universe now, I guess, is where is where we're going with this. Because, I mean, the thing I'm seeing from fans right now that are upset about this is that we want Moana 2. We don't want a live-action remake of something we basically just did. And I realize that Moana is not brand new, but it's new enough to the point where do we need to be doing a live-action remake of this right now? You could argue whether or not a live-action version of Lilo and Stitch needs to exist, and it's going to. But at the same time, it's been a while since the Lilo and Stitch movie. It's even been a while since the Lilo and Stitch animated series that was on Disney Channel. You could say the same thing for The Little Mermaid as well. It's been a minute. So there's certain ones where we've waited for a while. Now, I know that they've done like Peter Pan a hundred times and and certain other things, but this is one that kind of still feels fresh, right? And we're doing this now? Why? It just seems like I don't want to say that one project is more important than the other as far as live-action adaptations are concerned. I I don't think we necessarily need any of them. I think that the animated movies stand up really, really well on their own. I'm just going to put that out there. But the fact that you're jumping to Moana now seems a little odd. It's almost like you're doing it now because Dwayne Johnson knows he's still going to be in this kind of shape, at least for the foreseeable future, in the short term anyway. So let's do this while Dwayne can still play Maui and it makes sense sort of thing, it seems like. And you know, and that's just my opinion. I don't think that's probably necessarily the reason. But at the same time, doesn't it kind of feel like it's about him more than it is about making this movie? And I hate to say that because I love Dwayne Johnson. I love The Rock. I've, I've been a huge fan of him since his wrestling days. But it just seems like he used to be like the unquestioned darling of the media world. Fans loved him. The media loved him. Everybody loved him. And now all of a sudden, that's starting to shift a little bit here, which I think is kind of bizarre and weird, and it seems like it all started with the drama that centered around this Black Adam movie, which took forever to actually get off the ground, and maybe that was for a reason. So I'm keeping my eye on this story. I don't know that there we're, we're ne- we've necessarily heard the last of what's going to be going on with this. Now, is this going to be probably a visually striking movie when it's made in live action? Of course it is. This is something I would eventually want to see, but I'm kind of with the fans that say, where's Moana 2? Why aren't we focusing on making a sequel to this movie, which you could clearly do. The door is wide open for a sequel. So instead of doing that, you're going to move forward with the retelling of a story that you've already done, which is absolutely going to push the sequel further on down the line that fans really want. It just seems like this is a weird misstep for Disney, but we'll see. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the amazing cast of Grease Rise of the Pink Ladies 
for joining me this week. If you want to find out more about that show and watch all the trailers I just talked about, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Follow us on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram at downandnerdy on Facebook at downandnerdypod on TikTok. And don't forget, follow us on YouTube as well at downandnerdypodcast. There, love to see you subscribe and follow wherever you see us. And make sure you subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Helps out a lot. Make sure you're subscribing there. And remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. <laughs>